Amen. You can be seated. We've been in this passage on uh, Ephesians chapter 3 that really kind of ends here. Well, really, what we, what we landed on the last time we preached on, on this, in verse 18, if I can read it again for you, it says, may have strength that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I, I have wanted to just spend a lot of time on this because I think it's super important. I think it's so incredibly important that you would know the love of God for you that comes to you through Christ. And that this, this love that surpasses knowledge would, would so infect you and would so um, cause you to, to experience how much God loves you beyond what you could ever do for him, beyond what you, how, you, how righteous you could be, beyond how anything that you could possibly do, like God's love for you, it just is. And it's, it's constant, it's incessant. It's immense, it's beyond your imagination. It is all of those things. But the, the question comes then like, how do, how do I come to a place where I know this? I know that the Apostle Paul here has been saying, like he's been praying this for us. But, he, but there, there, we come to the end of that, 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 that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Meaning that, that we would just experience God on this level. Like it, it, is, it is really even difficult to explain what the original language meant there. Being filled with the fullness of God. Like God filling you up. Not you becoming God, but that God fills you up to a degree that is just, just beyond your imagination. Like that's, that's what's being offered here. And then he, he gives this doxology, which begins in verse 20. And, and within that doxology is this idea of adoration. You know, many times we go to God in prayer, and we pray and we, we ask for things, which is, a, which is a good thing. We ask for various things in our life. We ask for understanding, or we ask for help, or we ask for food, or we ask for rent, or, or whatever that is. But then there's this aspect that sometimes is missing from our prayer life, which is adoration. Which is just simply sitting and just, and, and, and just adoring God for God. Just adoring Him. Like, like just praising Him for who he is and what he's done. I took my son to the uh, doctor, uh, I believe it was on Friday, yeah, Friday, and I was sitting in this little waiting room area, and um, there was a guy who was sitting there, and he was talking to this gal about faith. And uh, he was going on and on about faith. He was, he's a Christian, 
And so he was talking about his faith and talking about church. And I'm always just kind of like my, my stomach gets in knots sometimes because I'm overhearing this conversation that he's having with this gal. I don't know if she was interested or not. Uh, she had a mask on. I couldn't tell whether she was smiling or frowning or anything, but he was just talking and talking and talking. I don't know what this guy's going to say. He kind of represents me. I don't know if he's going to say like, man, Kanye West is an amazing Christian guy, right? Like that, that's just like, Ugh! yeah, like, I don't know if you've read the news recently, like, oh, please don't say anything weird. Uh, there's so many of them these days, but uh, I was just waiting for it. And then um, he turned to me after she got up to go get her x-ray and, and uh, he starts asking me about who I am and what I do and, and uh, he said, man, I've been praying for the pastors in, in Salem and I was just in this prayer group and, and so I think he got onto like God's omniscience, like God knows everything. Like, and he, he just, he kind of went into this thing where he's, he's like, he knows everything. Isn't that amazing? He knows, he knows everything. And we're in this public place, and, I, and, I, and I'm like, this is a weird place to have this conversation. But he was sitting there, and he was, he, was, he was talking about God's omniscience, or maybe it was his omnipresence. I don't know what it was, but it was something that this guy was struck about, the nature and character of God. And he was like, isn't that amazing that he just knows everything? It's like adoration just like, just oozed out of him that this is the God that we serve. This is the God that exists. He knows everything. He's all powerful. He, uh, his mercy endures beyond what we could ever even imagine. Like It was like adoration was on the tip of his tongue and it was convicting for me. It was convicting because it was like, man, I don't go into doctor's offices and talk about the omniscience of God. Right? I, I don't know if that's happened to you or what have you, but he, it was just rolling out of him and it, it struck me. The Apostle Paul is that kind of guy where he gets done preaching, he gets done praying, and he, he comes to the end and he, and he says, if I can read it for you again, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Like that's, that's, like that's, that's an ending to a prayer. Like, like that's, that's how it should end, right? But what is our issue? Well, within this exclamation is an exhortation. Within the midst of this praise is this idea of, uh, of teaching us something. He's teaching us, you and me, the church in Ephesus, the other churches that this letter was sent to, he's teaching us something about God. He is teaching us something very important. And what does he want to teach us? He wants to teach us that God's, his, his divine ability goes far beyond what you could possibly imagine. It goes so far beyond what you and I could possibly imagine, and we're worse for it. 
Like when you, when, when you think about God and you think about like your and, and my puny understandings of who this God is, when, 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 when that happens, what takes place is this, is that we do not understand who God actually is. And so Paul says that he is the one who's able to do far more abundantly. Some, some uh, translations say exceeding abundantly beyond what we, uh, abundantly than all we ask or think. So what is this, what is this saying? Why can't we see his divine ability? The first thing is this. The reason why we can't see his divine ability is because of our lack of perceived need, Charles Spurgeon says. It's, it's our lack of, of need. It's like, I, I don't think I have any needs. I, th I don't think I understand even what I actually need from God. It's like sometimes we get upset with God and we say, God, how come you haven't given me this? How come you haven't uh, how come you haven't done this or done that? Why am I not, why am I not married yet? Or why, why is my marriage falling apart? Or why does this happen? Why does that happen? And God is like, I know about your needs so far beyond what you even understand. It's our lack of understanding of our perceived need. And especially as Americans, we have a real lack of perceived need because we have so many things at our fingertips. We have so many things just on our smartphone. We have so many things that are just right here and right now. There's an app for that. There's an app for feeling depressed. There's an app for tracking your money. There's an app for what ordering food. There's an app for all those things. It has taken place in some ways of our God. It says in Revelation chapter three, verse 14, Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea. He's speaking to a, a church that might be similar to ours. Their issue is that they are lukewarm. Their issue is that they're not like hot for God and they're not cold for God. They're just kind of right in the middle. They're just kind of right there in the middle. And their issue is that they're lukewarm. And he says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. And then he says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now what, what, what's our problem with being able to perceive our need? What's our problem? Is, is that we're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked, and we don't even know it. We don't even know the, the, the lack that we have. Like we, we, don't, we don't see it because we feel so successful in the things that we've done. Because we have all of our needs fulfilled because of all of these things that come together and basically tell us this like, you know, I, uh, you know here, here's the thing that I need. You know, when you go to a, a prayer meeting, you have prayer before your community group. When you come together with other Christians and we say, anybody got any prayer requests? The most dreaded words that I've ever heard in a community group. So please forgive me if you've ever used these. <laughs> totally insulted half of you. Maybe all of you. When you come to community group and the only thing that you can pray for 
is my neighbor's cat died. I got a hangnail. I'm hoping to get this job. Just not feeling good right now. It's not that God is too big to care about those things. He does. Don't get me wrong. But when that's the sum total of it, when that's, when that's as far as it goes, there's this lid that just goes, we see it in our prayer life where it's like, what are the things that I'm praying for? Well, it's not there. Here's, here's the encouragement here. God knows this. He knows this. And the Apostle Paul wants us to know it, that he is able to do far more abundantly than anything you could possibly ask for like, he knows everything. He's able to do so much more. But our lack of perceived need gets in the way. What else? Our inability to want the things that God wants. Our inability to get there. Our, in, our inability to, to desire what he desires for us. Like we believe as, as, as people who are just very fleshly, we believe like this is all that I need. This is all that I want. We don't have a, des we don't have a desire that goes beyond our needs. We don't have a desire that, that extends far beyond that. Or maybe you have thought in a way that says, you know, I do have more that I want from God. And this is saying, it far out exceeds anything that you could possibly want. C.S. Lewis has this famous quote that I've used before. He says, uh, from the weight of glory, he says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. Part of our issue is that we don't even desire the things that God desires for us. We, we, we don't even get close to that. We don't get near to it. We, we, we're so stuck in our own heads and our own desires that we can't think of what God could possibly be desiring for us. Psalm 81.10 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He, he's saying to his people, he's saying, just open up your desires and I will fill that. I will provide for it. I will give you what you need. As, as wide as your mouth can open, I can fill it. It can go on and on and on, and I can fill it over and over and over again. What else? Our lack of understanding. We fail to understand. We fail to understand who he is. We fail to understand that God, how big he is, how immense he is, his omniscience. We fail to see it. It says in Isaiah 55, verse 8, 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How many people are so stuck in their own understanding of who God is and what he can do? I have a, a friend who has called himself a pastor in, in the past, and maybe he still believes that he is. You might hear in my voice some questioning of that. Uh, but he, he, was, he, was, he wrote on Facebook just recently. He doesn't live here and doesn't listen to my sermons. I wish he would. But uh, he said, have you ever heard a Christian say this? The Bible clearly states this. The, the Bible clearly states this. And somebody commented on his post and says, I just tell people when they say that, the Bible clearly states. I say, well, that's your interpretation of that. That's your interpretation the scriptures clearly say, delight yourself in the Lord, I'm sorry, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. It's, it's, it is this idea of, it is not my way. It is not my understanding of him. It is not my understanding of who he is. It's not me coming up with this. It is his understanding. We cannot see his divine ability because our understanding of life our understanding of the world, our understanding of what my life should look like is what is over our life. That's, that's who we are. I, I thought that I would be farther along. I thought that I should be here. God, why are you against me in this? Because I don't have the things that I should want. God is saying, you lack understanding of who I essentially am and you're leaning on your own understanding. You're leaning on your own ideas of that. We cannot see his divine ability because our lack of perceived need, our inability to want, our lack of understanding, which really comes down to a lack of faith. It comes down to the, the, the core, which is faith. This faith that says like, God, whatever you want, whatever you are, uh, wh wherever you want me to be, the circumstance that I'm in right now is painfully from you. The, the, the issues that I'm challenged with in my life, the, the, the places that I find myself, God, you, you're good regardless of that. It's our lack of faith. Where can we begin to see his divine ability? Where can you begin to see God's divine ability in your life? How can you come to a point where you begin to see his divine ability? First of all, you have to look at this power that is working within us. If you look at the, uh, at, at the original passage, it says, according to the power at work within us which is echoing something earlier in the book, Ephesians chapter one, verse 19 through 20. It says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, at, at his right hand in the heavenly places. What's that referring to? It's saying the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and ascended him to heaven and seated him at the right hand of the Father, 
in power. That same power is in you. It is working in you. Where can we begin to see this divine ability? It's God's power. It's resurrection power that is working inside of you right here and right now. Where did that power that works within us come from? Did it, and here's, here's the question, did it come from you? Did it come from your abilities? Did it come from your uh, understanding? Did it come from your desire? Did it come from, uh, from your understanding of what need is? No. It came from God alone. It says in Romans 10, 20, the apostle Paul quotes Isaiah and he says this, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. What's that mean? That you and I, before we came to Christ, if you are a believer here today, you did not ask for him. You did not seek for him. You, you did not put any effort into that. Your life may have been hell. Your life may have been disastrous. What's, what's that say? Like God's divine ability goes into this. It saves people that don't even want to be saved. God's divine ability is seen in the power that is at work in you when he saves you from your sins without you having even asked. Because first what must happen is this, is you have a heart of stone that needs to be turned into a heart of flesh. You have a heart that doesn't desire God, that doesn't want God, that, that only wants God if it's on your terms. And the ability to become a Christian does not come through your own understanding. It doesn't come through your own desires. It comes through this. It, it, it comes and says, my understanding is no longer sufficient. My understanding of who God is does not work. My understanding is not, is not going to save me. It says, I, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. You didn't ask for it. You did not seek it. God saved you. God saved you. The power that is at work within you takes somebody who's diametri diametrically opposed to God and says, I'm going to bring about salvation in this, this man, this woman's life. God comes in and he saves without us even desiring it or seeking it. Think about this. If it is completely dependent on your desire for God, your understanding of your need for God, you would never be saved because his thoughts are higher than your, your thoughts. His understanding is higher than your understanding. Like your and my lostness, our sinfulness, our, our alienation from God is so far beyond what we even could imagine. Our sinfulness is immense. And God says, I'm gonna save you anyway. I'm gonna save you anyway. Like that's what he does. The power that's in, at work in you is the first sign of this. Like 
God can do beyond abundantly what you could possibly imagine, what you could even think to ask or think of. Like who would ever ask or think of asking someone to uh, make amends for us by offering their only son? Like if you got yourself into a jam and you basically, you basically came to this understanding. If you got yourself into trouble and basically the only way for you to be released from that trouble, the only way for you to get out of jail, the only way for you to be saved, the only way for you to, to be okay would be for you to go to somebody and say, hey man, I've really screwed up. Do you think you would mind giving your firstborn son um, as a, as, as a penalty, as payment, because I screwed up? Like, would you put your firstborn son in place of me? Would you mind doing that for me? That would, it would be so helpful. Like, like that's, that's absurd. It's beyond what you would ask for. It's beyond what you would even think of. I, who would ever think of the way towards salvation, the way to have relationship with God, the way to finally be uh, connected to God is that God has already decided to give you something that you would never even think to ask for, that you, that you would never even think to desire, that you would never even think to understand. He just says, there's a problem and I've already got the cure. And it's my firstborn son, my only son, that he gives for you. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the only son that you need. He goes so far beyond what we could possibly imagine. It says in Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It says this, it's not only that he began the good work in you. It's not only that, that you weren't seeking him and somehow you're in. It's not only that, but it, he's, he's saying, I began it in you and I'm finishing it in you. It's not that I began it in you and now you better be a really good person so that you can stay saved. No, he began it in you and he will complete it in you. What's that mean? It means that no matter what happens, no matter what sin you find yourself in, if you cheat on your spouse, if you cheat on your taxes, if you kill somebody, if you, whatever it is, if you gossip, if you lie, it means if you don't do the things that you know that you should be doing, it means that anything like that doesn't matter because of this. Because he who began something in you, when you weren't seeking it, when you weren't desiring it, he's committing himself to complete it. What, who would think of that? I would never think of that. The only thing I would think of is this. If I give you a gift, if I give you grace, if I give you something, and then you turn around and spit in my face, I'm going to say, I guess I should not have given that to you. 
I guess I should not have done that. Done that. I mean, as hard as I try, being a pastor and all, to uh, be superhuman and actually forgive people on that level, like I'm always going to come to a place where it's like, man, I'm just not sure I should have been that nice. Did you know that God is so far beyond that? It doesn't even enter his mind. He began a good work, and he's going to finish that work in you. And he's going to save you to the uttermost, it says in Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for you. Not only is he saving you to the uttermost, meaning like to the very depths, as low as you can go, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter uh, how you've been, like he will go to the uttermost so that you can experience his love on a level that you've never experienced it. He will save you to the uttermost and he's constantly making intercession. He's constantly praying for you in that way. Read the passage with me again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Do you see what that's saying? God's ability to do in your life exceeds what you could possibly ask or think or imagine. God's ability to make you whole again when you feel broken. God's ability to bring you back out of something that is damaging to your life. God's ability to save you. God's ability to do something in your life that you've never imagined or thought of is, is so immense. It's, it's beyond what you could think of. It's beyond what you, what you could ever think of. I don't know if you've ever gone to the store when you're hungry. Um, I have quite a few times. And, uh, you know, you hear, I hear the phrase often, your eyes were bigger than your appetite, you know, <laughs> I go and I get this giant steak when I'm super hungry and then maybe I can't finish the whole thing, whatever. In our case, our problem is this, that our eyes and our appetite are both off. Our eyes and our appetite are both off. We've gone to the store to buy a feast and we've come home with a morsel. We've gone to the store and we've said, the store of God, and we've said, I need a little bit of this. I, I need some chips. I need some guacamole. I need, I need a steak. I need whatever it is. Like I, I, I need these things. And in comparison to what God has for us, it's just the smallest morsel. It's like a Tic Tac. It's, it's, it's nothing in comparison to what God has for you. We thought that we were climbing Mount Everest, but found out that we're merely strolling up Jory Hill, right? Which is out south if you're a South Salemite, right? 
You, th you thought that you were climbing this mountain, but really you're just kind of strolling up this hill. You thought that you were climbing the heights of who God is, but he's so far beyond. Like his grace, his mercy, his love is so far beyond what you and I could possibly imagine that it's basically like a molehill that we're climbing. And what this is telling us is let him do the shopping for us. He'll bring the warehouse. He'll bring Costco home, right? Let him be the climbing guide because he's gonna take you to outer space. Let him be the one that's doing the work. I don't know about you, but the thing that I think sometimes is like, man, do I know the love of God on that level? Do I know that we, do I know the love of God that surpasses knowledge? And I, and I just, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. And I think Paul knows that he's gotten us to that place. And he says, you might feel like you are so insignificant and you have nothing to offer. And he just says, but we serve a God who's able to do far more abundantly than you could ask or think of. And that's the beauty of the God that we serve. That's the beauty of the God that you and I both serve, is that he is able. This prayer is really a prayer of God, do this work in me. Like, do the work of causing me to feel your love. And Paul says, God will do it. He's able to do it. And ultimately, it brings glory to him. How do we live with this in mind? That's the third thing. How do we live with this in mind? How do we make progress in that? You know, when I was talking to that guy in the doctor's office, I thought to myself, that statement didn't come from somebody who's just kind of sitting out there going, yeah, I attend church occasionally. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to this church. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm committed, you know. That, that, that doesn't come from that kind of person. This comes from a guy who's been contemplating the omniscience, the omnipresence, whatever else, of God. He's been thinking about it. He's been thinking and thinking and doing some more thinking. And so when he sits in the doctor's office, he says, man, I can't believe that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful. Like, man, what's happening in him? He's praising. He's praising. Do you find yourself in praise, erupting in praise for who God is? When we sing these worship songs together and we're, we're exclaiming those things, do you feel like it's giving voice to something inside of you that's wanting to come out and say, yes, God, this is how I feel about you. This is what I want. This is what I desire. Is there anything of that? How can we live with this in mind? Psalm 37, four, through verse seven, delight yourself in the Lord 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. You can read that and you can go, man, I really want God to do some things for me. This is what the TV preachers will tell you. Hey, if you do something for God, he will do something for you. Like obey God and he'll save you. Obey, or like give to God and, and life is gonna go so much better for you. That's not what this is saying. It's saying to delight in the Lord. It means to like look at him, to experience him. It, mean, it means, it means to, to contemplate who he is, to look at all of the things in the scriptures that talk about this God, that just talk about everything that he is, how merciful, how gracious he is, how he judges, how he saves all of these things. Like it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What's this mean? It means this, like get to know him. Get to understand him. Get to see him in your life. Get to see who he is. Do you know what happens there? When you see like this is who God is, especially when you see Jesus, because Jesus says, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Here's the thing, like when you look at the life of Jesus and he's forgiving people on the spot, go and sin no more. He's healing, he's patient, he's kind, he's direct with people that are hypocrites. He's all of these things and you see who this person is and if you've seen Jesus, then you've seen God the Father. You've seen the true and the living God. Jesus says, I want you to know who God is of whom I am. You delight yourself in the Lord. He's like, I'm, I'm here to meet with the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, and to discover who he is. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you his desires for your heart. He's gonna awaken the desires. Man, if this is who you are, God, if you're gracious and merciful, then maybe I can be gracious and merciful in my marriage, or to the people that hate me, because I hated you, and yet you saved me. I did not seek after you. I did not ask for you. And yet, I've been found. I found you. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you know when you come to pray, the first thing you need to do is you need to find out who is this God that I'm praying to? Our prayers lack need. Our prayers lack understanding. They lack desire because we don't even understand who we're praying to. And it's because we don't know who he is is. We must delight ourselves in him. And then Spurgeon says, what if I require superabundant grace? I may have it. If I want exceeding abundant help, I can have it. Ah, if I need more grace than I dare ask for, I can have it. Yes, and if I require more than I think, I may have it. For still, my Lord is able to give it to me. And what he is able to do, he is willing to do. 
Like, what if you're in a place where you go, yeah, but I don't really want that. Ask him to help you want it. What if you say, but, but pastor, you don't understand where my life is. You don't understand the consistent sin that I'm in. You don't understand how disconnected from God I feel. You can have more grace. He saves you to the uttermost. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Why? Because he went to the cross to prove it. Because he went to the cross to prove it. And the only thing left to say is this. Amen. Can you say amen to that statement? Amen just means I will do it. I agree. It's an affirmation. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Can you say amen with me? Amen. That's all that there is. Would you pray with me? As the ushers come forward here, I'm gonna pray. Lord Jesus, I think we've only scratched the surface of, of really even understanding this passage and really any passage in, in scripture. But Lord, we need your supernatural ability to be able to understand how great and how good you are. Lord God, would you do a work in our lives? Would you enable us to experience your love on a level that we've never experienced before? that we would understand that you were able to do far more abundantly than we could ever think of. And that's according to the power that's at work within us. And that ultimately this brings you glory. It brings you glory when we begin to even see just the smallest amount. But Lord, it's beyond what we could ever imagine. Lord, may we just have a taste of it. May we just see a small amount of it. It's in your name we pray, amen. Can we grab communion together?